Let's just pray for a moment as we kick off today. Father, we want to thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And Father, we pray that as we look at your word, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts, that we would hear what you are saying to us today. Lord, we bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I said last week that we're, we're going to do a series on 1 Corinthians. If you've not read it, I would encourage you to read it through. Uh, it's a bit of a challenge. I've prepared the sermon twice because I wasn't happy with the first one. It was just too much information rather than uh, really what I felt God was saying. And there's so much stuff in this. Uh, but we, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians and chapter 1, and we're going to read the first nine verses. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given in you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, as I start this, you may not be aware, but the church in Corinth was a terrible church might really surprise you we'll talk more about that next week I'm going to talk about the nice intro but it was full of problems it had major issues of sexual immorality of divisions you name it it was there in 1 Corinthians I don't want to dwell on that but I want to set that as a scene because we often don't see that when we read through Nearly all of the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote to address problems in the churches that he wrote to. If there were no problems, there would have been no letters and have a very thin New Testament. But they had some major issues on the go that will make your mind boggle and we will look at those as we go through. But the reason I'm saying that is because it seems to contrast with this opening. Yeah. A church that has problems you don't start with, I always thank my God for you. You kind of start with, I want to slap you around the head. So I just want to set the scene within that. Uh, Corinth, the town in the New Testament, it was a town that had about 80,000 people. Uh, it worshipped Aphrodite, had a massive, massive temple towards that. They also had a really big... Um, amphitheatre that seated 18,000 people. It was very wealthy, it was very cosmopolitan, uh, and it was very significant in the area that it was in at the time that Paul is writing this. So this is a happening place. 
Now, because there are a whole load of issues, it'll begin to help you understand why Paul starts his letter the way he starts it. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. What's he doing? Well, he's saying he's called to be an apostle by whom? By the will of God. Now, he's setting out his authority. He hasn't appointed himself. God has appointed him. Let me tell you, in church life, we don't appoint ourselves. It may come as a surprise. I know churches vote and organisations vote, but ultimately, that's not how we do it. I probably shouldn't say this, um, but I did not want to be a pastor, let me tell you that. In 2009, when God called Joss and I back to the UK, I had a little conversation with God, so I'm going back to the UK, I need a job, anything but being a pastor, okay? And Jocelyn, when she was talking to God about who she would marry, she said to God, anybody except a pastor, because her dad was a pastor. Now, why is that important? Because actually, it's a calling. You know, the things that God gives into your life, they are a calling, they are not a job. One of my kind of big gripes about how churches run very often in the West is we run it as a business and people have working hours and it's a job. It's not a job, it's a calling. Jesus the Messiah, that was not a job. Jesus didn't wake up, says nine o'clock, I better start going out and start healing. And then five o'clock, sorry, you're too late, come tomorrow, queue up and I'll be ready, but now it's my own time. No, no. Now I'm saying that because there are callings of God in this building. Yeah, I have a calling as pastor, but others of you, you've also got a calling that you need to discern in God and it's a calling. It eclipses what you do as a job. We've reversed things in the West where our out there earning job is our main thing and what we do for God is our side hustle. That's not how it is. Paul very clearly said an apostle of God called by the will of God. And then, this is the other bit that I like, in verse 2, who's he writing to? He says, the church of God in Corinth. But actually, we could remove Corinth for a moment and say the church of God in. He's highlighting this one church. We are the church of God in Stone Cross. But there is a church of God in Hakeley Heath. There is a church of God in Smethwick. There is a church of God. There is one church. Now, because after this, if you go through from verse 10, which we're not looking at, he talks about the divisiveness that's happening and people are being divided. He's highlighting really important there is one church. You know, we are one church in God. And he goes on and he says that we are sanctified and called to be holy. You know, it's a bit odd to say sanctified and called to be holy because we'd kind of think surely that's the same thing. It's not quite. Sanctification and holiness have a kind of connection within it, but holiness in its kind of original meaning is about separation. 
You know, we're called to be holy. What does that mean? It means that we do not do what the world does. We're called to be separate. That doesn't mean we don't work with them, we don't engage with them, but it means morally, it means spiritually, it means within our family, we do not do what the world does. It's a big challenge for us. We're on this journey. You know, we live between two phenomenal events. We live between this event that Jesus has already come and we live between another event that he will come and in between that we are journeying. Let me tell you, just because Jesus hasn't come yet doesn't mean he's not going to come. Why is that important? Because we live in this tension of we are sanctified but we're still on this journey of being holy. You know, you'll see as we go through this letter that the church of God is not a perfect church. You know, I've been talking to people, you know, uh, I get people who call me, I get people who call the church number and stuff, and we chat to them, and quite often people say, oh yeah, I stopped going to church because that person upset me, or this person upset me, or they did this and that upset me, or they moved my chair, you know, it, it just goes on. The point being that there is no perfect church. Somebody once said, if you find the perfect church and you join them, they will no longer be perfect. There is no perfect church. Now, why am I saying it? it should encourage you that we're on a journey. And when you see what this church was challenged by and struggling with, you think, you know what, Simon, I think we're not too bad off. But we still have issues that we need to sort through. And this is the whole point, that the church isn't for people who are morally perfect, who don't make any mistakes. That's not its for. Jesus said, I've come for the sick, not the healthy. The church is for sinners. If you're not a sinner, you don't need to be here. Of course, if you don't think you're a sinner, then there's another big problem. So... We have this journey of us going from Jesus' first coming to Jesus' second coming. And the whole point between those things is that Jesus' first coming opened the door that we could be saved. It opened the door that our sin can be removed. And Jesus' second coming will be the fulfillment of it. We have it all in part, we have it all not perfectly nailed down, and when Jesus comes, we move in the fulfillment of it. How many of you understand the frustration of a sinful nature and a fleshly nature in your body? Anybody have that tension? I do. Every morning. <coughs> and so we are one church. We are a church that is called by God to connect with all others who follow Jesus Christ. And I love this. He says then, uh, all those everywhere. He speaks about all those everywhere, their Lord and ours. There's a challenge. Now, if I was going to give today a title, it would be this. He is able to keep us because of his grace and faithfulness. Let me repeat that. He is able to keep us because of his grace and faithfulness. And then he starts off with this amazing paragraph. I always thank my God for you. Now, 
He's thanking God for people who are having phenomenal divisions and arguments. Yeah. I always thank my God for you. Let me tell you, that is a tremendous position to be in as a believer. When you wake up in the morning, you should be able to give thanks for everyone, including those who come to church that you might not like. You know, I used to grow up in church thinking I had to like everybody. You know, you don't, you, you won't like, you have to love everybody because love is a choice, but liking isn't. We don't necessarily get on with everybody. That There are different ways that we live, that we do things, and some people will get on our nerves, but we are still called to love them and thank God for them. Why? He says, because of this really simple thing, because of grace. It's the grace of God that levels all of us into the same position. We're here today because the grace that comes through Jesus, not because we've done anything good. There are lots of people in the world who can stand up and say, well, I've got an OBE, an MBE, and I've got this merit and that merit, and I've got this peace prize, and I've got this medallion, and I've got that. Loads of people who've achieved great things. But in the church, there are only ever sinners who have been saved by grace. We have no medals. And so it's because of grace we can be thankful for all the believers, even those we don't really get on with, because of the grace of God that is at work. Grace is powerful stuff. Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And then he says really specifically, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So what happens is, as I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sin, that's my act of faith, I believe that, I might not feel it, I might not think there's enough evidence for it, but as I believe it, God sees that and he releases grace and then all of a sudden I feel and know that my sins are gone. How did that happen? Grace through faith. And that grace it's a gift of God. And then he goes on to say in Ephesians 2.8, so that we can walk in the works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Did you know before you were born, God said, you know what? I've got this plan for Olive. I've got this plan um, for all the folks here. He's got a plan for Dave and for Delia. God's got a plan. That we should walk in that. Why? Because God's grace enables us through faith. The difference between success and failure is faith. Two blind men came to Jesus and Jesus said, Do you believe that I can heal you? Yes. Well, according to your faith, there it is. Do you know how many times Jesus says in the Bible, you look through all the miracles and nine times out of ten, Jesus says, according to your faith. And even where Jesus says no, if people come back in faith, he does it. The Syrophoenician woman. And where we move into presumption, even though we think we have faith, we fail, as Peter did when he jumped out of the boat. You know, Peter wanted to walk on the water with Jesus. And he says, Lord, tell me to come. He says, come. You know what? Jesus wants you to give it a go. 
And so he jumps out of the boat, but then he made a mistake. He took his eyes off Jesus. And he looked around, and the waves were really big, and the wind was blowing. And he's looking at that, and, and, and his, his belief that Jesus would keep him started to dwindle, and he started to sink, and then Jesus reached out his hand and pulled him up. Jesus' rebuke of his disciples is always on, you have little faith, where is your faith? And faith is all to do with believing what God has done. It's all to do with trusting what God has done. You know, we have been placed into Jesus by God. And here he's saying, as he goes through, he says that now that we're in Christ, he says we've become enriched in every way. He says our speech and our knowledge are enriched. They are a demonstration. Did you know that what we say, what we do as men and women of God is the testimony that Christ is in us? It's not our attendance in church. It's not, you know, if we had a little time stamp and you came in every time you came to church and you clocked yourself in, that is not the testimony of whether God is in you. It's what you say and it's what you do that is a demonstration that Christ is in you because that internal change can only come through the grace of God. Where we were formerly angry, we're not. Where we'd normally bite somebody's head off, we don't. Where we're selfish, we're generous. God changes us from the inside. Paul goes further, he says, because Christ is among you, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Hope Church, because Christ is among us, we do not lack any spiritual gift. You might say, well, Simon, well, where is this gift of healing? Yeah, where is it? It's in here somewhere, I tell you. Maybe you should ask God. Lord, I'd like a gift of healing. <coughs> gift of prophecy. Word of knowledge. Gift of generosity. Gift of leadership. We need to ask. Remember that scripture, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So we need to seek God within that. And here is Paul he is giving thanks and he is describing an amazing church. Why is he doing that when he knows that he is writing a letter to right all the wrongs in the church because he's setting the scene saying, church, this is what you are. This is what you're journeying towards, even though at the moment there's a little bit of immaturity and fleshliness and problems, but I know God will lead you through. I mean, he says that, doesn't he? He says, therefore, you do, not like any, you do not like any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you this morning. Maybe we struggle with things, we, we don't get things right, but we are on a journey here together. And the journey is not about berating ourselves for our shortfalls. Yeah, we do need to deal with them with God. You know, where we sin, we need to repent. That's really clear in Scripture. But we don't dwell in that. We don't dwell in the shame. We don't dwell in, oh, if only, if only. No, we say, it's done. Jesus has forgiven it. I'm going to get up and I'm going to move forward. 
And if we don't do that, if we keep dwelling in that, then we will never move beyond our fleshliness, our sinful nature. No matter how bad it gets, verse 9 says, God is faithful. Let me tell you this morning, God is faithful. There is a prayer in Ephesians 3, and I'm going to finish with that this morning. There's a prayer in there, and I wonder whether this is the prayer that Paul was praying for the Corinthians. It's an, it's an amazing prayer. It's in, in Ephesians 3, and from verse 14 to 21. Let me read this. I'm, I'm praying this over you. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Pray that for you today, that you would know that fullness. And the bit I want to emphasize here, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. You know, there is a power of God in you, and whatever you ask of God, he wants to do immeasurably more than what you ask or even what you could imagine. Isn't that amazing? So don't limit yourself today. Have a big vision of who you are in Christ, of who the church is. There's one church, when you meet somebody from another church, bless them, thank God for them. We may not necessarily agree with everything, but hey, let's bless God for them. Because God has a plan and he's filled us with power through faith. Let's finish. Father, we thank you. We thank you because you do love us. We thank you because you do care for us. And Father, I pray this morning that we would be filled with that faith that says God is for us and he works in and through us to do amazing things. And Father, I pray for that. I pray that you would impart that love and that power this morning. I want to pray that you would begin to ask God for some of the great gifts, the prophecy and the healing and the miracles. Our world needs it. And so, Father, I, I lift us as a people of God before you. And I also rebuke every thought of the devil that says you're not worthy. You know, if there's something in you that is saying you are not worthy, that is not God, that is the devil, and you need to tell that voice to shut up. And we rebuke every voice of the enemy that says we're not good enough, we're not worthy, we're not able. We rebuke that because in Christ and by his power and by his grace and in faith in him, 
we can do all things. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us or who gives us strength. And so, Father, bless your people today. Pray that they would know your touch this week, your empowering this week. Pray that you would lift up their heads. Pray that they would stand up tall as children of God and know the amazing blessedness of being uh, one of those children of the living God. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.